Amen. God is so, so good. Amen. He really is. Well, I guess it was probably 27 or 28 years ago, and it was Sanctity of Life Sunday. We were at our previous church, and uh, I was preaching, and I looked out, and in the congregation was a lady who was obviously struggling. Her head was down. I couldn't see her countenance because of that, but all service long, her head hung. She came out the front door and did shake my hand, but did not look at me. And I went home and told Judy. I said, you know, I, I know today was a hard day for someone at church. I, I hope I did not offend someone today. And so i almost positive, you know, details get lost in, in memory. But I think it was Tuesday uh, that my secretary went over to the sanctuary for something and found this lady sitting um, in the sanctuary. And her head was bowed. She came back and said, hey, pastor, there's this lady over there. She's not, won't talk. You may want to go speak with her or talk with her. And so I went over there and I did exactly that. I tried to engage her in conversation and she wouldn't lift her head up. And uh, obviously she was wrestling with shame. And so finally, I just simply said, can I pray for you? And she nodded yes. And we had prayer together and I pat her on the shoulder and went back to the office. And she left sometime later. I think it was Thursday. Uh, I know it was before the next Sunday, but I think it was Thursday. Um, Secretary went over again, and sitting quietly in the sanctuary was this lady. And um, came back and said, hey, Pastor, she's back. And so I went and, again, did not know her at the time. Um, and she uh, had her head bowed still. And so I said, can you tell me what's going on? And she shared. A few years in her past, she had had an abortion. She had taken the life of her child, and the guilt and the shame was simply consuming her. Well, I had the privilege that day of sharing sharing the hope of the one who could take away the shame, the one who could take away the guilt. And that day she prayed in faith and asked Jesus Christ to do exactly that. And Jesus came into her life and that Sunday she came forward. And, and to this day, all these years later, um, she is faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I didn't share her name, but you probably have seen her here. It was several, several years ago, but I had her come up and share her story on Sanctity of Life Sunday. As an example of the grace and the power of God. Today's message, we talk about in the song, I've watched it show on the screen several times. Um, in the song, it talks about you turn shame into glory. And so what we want to talk about today is when shame meets grace. When shame meets grace. It's a, it's a poignant sermon for all of us who wrestle with shame and guilt. You know, Jesus Christ, as I shared with her that day, she, you know, the only one, the only one who could take away the shame and the guilt is Jesus Christ. The only one. He removes the shame and he removes the guilt. You know, shame is a, it's a two-sided coin. Um, on one side, you, you have, it's a shame, but people wrestle with shame, even though it's not merited, even though it's not earned, we wrestle with it. Sometimes it's our DNA, it seems. 
but we wrestle with that. But, but it's also a shame that, that sometimes that when there's an appropriate, should be an appropriate shame, there is not. I remember the day that a young lady in our youth group from that same church walked into my office and said, Pastor, I want to let you know that I'm pregnant. And, um, and I was almost immediately said, you know, hey, you know what? We all make mistakes. And she says, oh, no, no, no. She says, we're really excited about it. And what should have been a moment of shame was not. So, so sometimes we wrestle with shame that, that's not ours to bear. And sometimes we don't do appropriate shame. And as fast Domino said, ain't that a shame? Ain't that a shame? You know, in, in the book of Isaiah uh, 54, 4, um, the scripture, the context of the scripture is, as you know, Israel was constantly messing up. There's, there are a lot, of, a lot of good examples there for we Christians. Um, but Israel was constantly messing up. And God is discussing the future of Israel that seemed so bleak, and they were wrestling with their guilt and their shame. And he says these words. He says, fear not. Now, if you're taking notes, you would circle the words fear not, and you'd write down that fear is a breeding ground for shame. Fear is a breeding ground for shame. You know, we, we who wrestle with shame, or should wrestle with shame, we live in constant fear of what if they find out? What if there's something in your past? What if they knew that, that I'm really not as strong as I, I think I am? What if they knew my marriage was really on the rocks? What if they knew I'm not the parent that I need to be? What if, you know, you know students, you know, what would my mom and dad think if they knew? So fear is a breeding ground for shame. That's, that's maybe one reason more why, why God says in his word 365 times, he says, fear not, fear not. Because God knows the power of fear. So fear not, and he says to Israel, you will no longer live in shame. You will no longer live in shame. A a brief but poignant uh, definition of shame is self-destructive blame. Self-destructive. In fact, fact, often it is self-destructive self-blame. In other words, no, no one's putting it on you, you just got it. And, of course, sometimes we're going to talk about days. Sometimes others help you to catch the shame. So God says, hey, Israel, and he would say to his children today, he would say to us today, hey, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. There is coming a time because of my love and my forgiveness that there is no more disgrace for you. A guy named Phillips Brooks says, The only way to get rid of your past is to make a future out of it. God will not waste anything. Let me read that to you again. It's so important. The only way to get rid of your past is to make a future out of it. God will not waste anything. Some of us have learned that the power of confession is a strong thing. It's a difficult thing. Some of us have told stories of failure. And we found in uh, sharing that story of failure, God uses our worst failure for his glory and for his honor. God does not waste anything. It's a powerful thing. So our teaching point then this morning is this. You know, God, the enemy, excuse me, not God, the enemy will work overtime to keep us in shame. The enemy works overtime 
to keep us in shame. The song that you heard redeemed was written by Big Daddy Weave. And the reason they call him Big Daddy Weave is because he's really big. And he had set a goal to lose a certain amount of weight and he was then about a pound or two and didn't make it and just devastated him. I can identify with that. Because every day, every day, I look in the mirror and I feel shame. Every day, I stand up and preach about how all things are possible with God. But every day I look in the mirror and I see a guy who can't control his weight. I've been up. I've been down. I do good for a while and then I fail. And every day it just owns me. You can ask my wife this is true. There was a time I put paper over my mirror so I didn't have to look at myself. I was so ashamed of my failures. And then... If not enough shame, sometimes people patch on the tummy and say, better lay off the donuts, bud. Better do this, but bay, bud. You know, and I just, I don't know where it started in my life. I just know this, it's been all my life. All, there was a few years when I was like eight years old that I was slender. And then all of a sudden something happened. And then I've just been wrestling my weight all my life. And I feel such shame over it. And Satan knows that. And he works overtime to make sure that I stay in Shame. He knows. He knows if he can keep us in shame, he can minimize our intimacy with God. If he, if he can convince us that we are less than, write those two words down, they're going to be important. If he can convince us that we're less than, okay, then he knows that our intimacy with God will struggle because how could God use and how could God love us? So he knows that. He makes it his goal in so many believers' lives to keep them living in shame. So we want to look at a story today that is very familiar. But it, it's just one of my favorite. One thing about, great about being the preacher and one thing about being uh, in teaching in series, you get to choose the stories. And this is just one of my favorites. You'll recognize it. It's found in John chapter 8. And really the story starts in verse 1, but we're going to start in verse 3. The, the back story is kind of like this. Um, Jesus was teaching at the temple, okay? And it was getting late, and so he retires and goes to the, uh, the garden, you know, the, the Mount of Olives. He goes there and to rest overnight. And now this is a crucial point. He comes back early in the morning. I mean early in the morning. And as always, it was very quickly that people gathered around. And, and I didn't get this in the first service to share with them, so I'll share it with you. Imagine, if you will, as the teacher, he's in the middle of a circle, surrounded by people, almost teaching in a 360 fashion. Okay? And then that's where we pick up in verse number 3, and the Bible says this. As he was speaking, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law... And the Pharisees brought a woman. So we have a woman, and we're going to find out what the deal is in just a moment. But it would suffice now to say that she is a less than. 
She is a woman that has wrestled with guilt and shame. And the ones who bring her into the circle, I mean, Jesus is teaching and they interrupt him. The people kind of part and he comes inside the middle of the circle. We're not sure how many of them there were, but they were the more thans. The more thans. They were the teachers or the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, the, The teachers and the scribes knew more than anybody else about the law. They were more than. They knew more about the law than anybody. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, did more with the law. So, so we had this perfect storm of, get ready for this term, shame casters. They're, one, of their, one of their spiritual gifts, if you will, was casting shame on others. Really, because they were professional Christians... In quotes, they're professional religious people. That's better, okay? And then they, in order to make themselves look better, they would point to the common people around them and put them down as they lifted themselves up. So you've got the more thans, these people who, who the, the scribes, the teachers knew more. They, they, could, they, could quote, they could quote the Bible. They studied the Bible. They taught Sunday school classes about the Bible. Uh, perhaps they stood on stages and talked about the Bible. Okay? They knew a lot about the Bible. They just didn't apply it very well. And then the Pharisees, they were doers. They did more. They were constantly doing religious stuff. Again, they were professional religious people. Well, these two, this two group, this two groups of however many people it was, you know, they break into the circle, and with them, the more thans have brought in a less than. This happens too often. The more thans bring in a less than. In this case, she was a really big less than. The Bible says that they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And apparently, the way it looks, and there's, you surely don't want to add to the word of God, but apparently, in order to catch her in the act of adultery, they had to go to her home, her place of business, and get her. Her home or her place of business. They caught her in the very act. And then they take her, you know, the more thans, the more thans bring the less than and drag her and throw her in the middle of this circle. So you've got this crowd, you've got Jesus, now you've got this woman, and you've got the more thans. So you, maybe if, you have a, if you're sensitive a little bit, maybe you're going, well, what kind of people would do that? Uh, not Jesus. Not Jesus. And may I say this? Jesus' people shouldn't either. If you ever, ever, I don't care, I don't, I don't care what the circumstances are. If you find yourself involved in dragging a less than in front of people to use them and embarrass them, you're in the wrong camp. You're just in the wrong camp. And the, the problem is the church is famous for this. You want to know why the world out there doesn't believe what we're selling? Because they don't see it in our lives. That's why. That's why. So, so, so they brought this woman, thrown her down. 
Because they just didn't care. In fact, our teaching point says it best. You know, here, here we see the brutality of religion. And I know by now some of you are saying, you overuse this on religion. That's because, you know, so much of religion is not Jesus. It's just not. Okay? So I love this word brutality. We see the brutality of religion. They, they take this woman and totally embarrass her. Listen, listen, they didn't, they didn't care that she committed adultery. That is not going to be the point. I'll show you in just a minute. They didn't care that they had embarrassed her. They could care less. They had a, an agenda, and, and part of their agenda was trapping Jesus. We're going to see that in just a moment. Here we see the brutality of religion. And the difference between religion and Jesus is simple and plain. One, religion uses and abuses people. The church, again, we are famous for using and abusing people. We should repent. We should repent. Because you see, Jesus is the opposite. You know, you know more than like to use and abuse people, um, but, but Jesus loves people. I'm so amazed. I'm so amazed that, that here, you know, here are the people, and, and Jesus is like nothing like them. And they're nothing like Jesus. But he hangs with them, Brent. He has lunch with them. He has supper with them. He talks with them. He walks with them. And they, he can't get enough of being around them, and they can't get enough of being with him. It's because he doesn't use or abuse, rather... Jesus loves them. You remember what he said. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You know this. It's so simple. Love God, love people. That's it, dudes. It's really quite simple. And religion doesn't do that. Religion uses and abuses. Jesus will love his Father and love God and love people. We got that opportunity this afternoon at the park to do exactly that. There'll be people, you'll be, you'll be tempted in the park today to judge someone. Don't. Don't. Jesus wouldn't and neither should we. Neither should we. Well, we get down to verse 4 and 5. We get to their point. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, and they could add and say, and by the way, we know this. In case you're wondering how we know, it wasn't rumor, it wasn't speculation. We caught her, probably proud and boastful. We caught her in the very act. We caught her in the bed with the guy. And by the way, where is the guy? See, some people think this is a whole setup deal to set up Jesus. And they had to have a victim, and they found one. We caught her in the act of adultery. Now, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? See the use? See the abuse? They didn't care about adultery. They didn't care about her. They simply wanted to trap Jesus. That's what it it was all, all about. We caught her in the very act. See, if they could have known what Jesus had already taught in Matthew chapter 7, they, they probably would have been more careful. Because you see, they're walking on a minefield and don't even know it. 
They're walking in a minefield and doesn't even know it. They skipped church that day. Don't ever skip church. You might miss something important. Because on that day, keep it in mind, teacher, the, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Well, Jesus had already taught in Matthew 7, do not judge so that you won't be judged. Do not judge so you won't be judged. And then he says this. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. In other words, the way you have taken this woman, he would say, the way you've taken this woman and brought her here is the same way people are going to judge you. And then he goes on and says, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. In other words, the same punishment that you want to dish out to her you will be worthy of the same punishment. So, hey, Mr. Mister More Thans, um, who know the law so well and practice the law so well, you just need to understand something. You need to be careful when you judge because if you drag somebody in demanding the law, you'll be judged by that same law. And the punishment will be the same that you want on her. Hmm, should have gone to church. Well, in verse 6... The Bible says, well, and here's the whole deal. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But then Jesus did something weird. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. How strange. So, so they got the woman here and here and the people and without saying a word, he just stoops down and starts writing. And, of course, the big deal is, you know, people want to know, you know, what, what did he write? What did he write? I mean, I bet there's been more speculation than that from pulpits from anything. But something that, that God brought to my mind this morning even is this. Perhaps more important than what he wrote is why he wrote. Have you ever wondered that? Can I propose something that maybe you've never heard before? Is it possible, given the, the character of, of Jesus and his gracefulness, is it possible that this is a graceful pause? Could it be that, that him, that Jesus in his grace, is putting a pause on the situation? Is it possible that he's administering grace to these people who do not deserve grace and maybe he's giving them a moment to reevaluate? Maybe, maybe he's saying, think about this. Maybe he's hoping one of them would go, lean over and go, you know, maybe this isn't such a good idea after all. You know, maybe, maybe picking on the creator son of God is not a good idea. Maybe he was hoping in grace they would casually back out of the circle, even leaving the woman, and go home. Maybe it was a great... It's, it's, so, it's so strange that maybe it was a graceful pause. Here's a freebie, and you can... Write this down and save it for later. Um, it's a really good idea for us to take graceful pauses. Before we're going to cast a rock, before we're going to say something harsh, 
maybe we need to take a graceful pause. Maybe we possibly could take a lesson from Jesus. Maybe we should stoop down the dirt and ride a while before we... Ooh, that's good. Maybe we should stoop down and ride a while in the dirt before we speak. Well, what's our teaching point? Well, the bottom line is this. It doesn't matter what he wrote. It just doesn't. You know, if it did, God would have told us. If it was important that, that what he wrote in the dirt was important... See, that's what I'm saying. There might be something bigger here that we've never thought about. If it was important, he would have told us. But what matters is that Jesus is strategically waiting. Waiting for the right time, and we should do the same. We should, too. We should wait and pause in grace before we cast a stone, before we judge... And sometimes we just need to pause, period. Um, someone said, you know, in our waiting, there is purpose. When you, when, you decide, when you decide to ride in the dirt, there's a purpose for that. Uh, there's waiting in our purpose. There is waiting, and while we're waiting, God is working. So there's purpose in our waiting, and God is working while we're waiting. We're not sure how long he drew. I bet it was uncomfortable. I bet there was a few... <coughs> And finally, the Bible says in verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So if there was a graceful pause, they didn't get it. So they kept demanding an answer. So he finally stood up again and said, well, all right. If this is really what you want, if this is really what you want, okay. But let the one who has never sinned, throw the first stone. Okay. If, you really, if this is really what you want, then let the one who's never sinned cast or throw the first stone. Do you see what he's doing? He, he's forcing them to see their own sin. He's forcing them to see their own sin. Sin. Okay, this is really what you want. Okay? But before you do, you've got to take an inward look. Okay? So, I want you to, I want you to look. And I, the one who has not sinned can cast the first stone. Must cast the first stone. He's forcing them to see. And by the way, keep in mind, there's a circle. And these are the people that have felt the judgment of the, of the more thans all their lives. And all of a sudden, when without... Sin cast the first stone. Whoa. Whoa. And the Bible says he then stooped down and wrote in the dirt again. Strategic pause. Giving time for the Holy Spirit to do his work. To pierce their hearts. And it worked. The Bible says in verse number 9. So when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Wow. Wow. Now, can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the pressure that's being felt right now by those people? Can you imagine, okay, as, as they sit there and one by one, they drop their rocks. And all you hear is a shuffling of feet as they slowly back out of the circle. And in the end, in the end, there was the crowd watching, 
Oh boy, do they have a story to tell. And Jesus. And a sinner. That's who was left. The crowd. The sinner. And Jesus. Perfect. Perfect. Here's our teaching point. The thud of falling rocks and the retreating footprints are the sounds of hearts pierced by conviction. God took care of this. God, and by the way, he'll take care of whatever you're going through right now. He will take care of that too. Well, in verse number 10, um, so Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, so where are your accused? Where are the more thans? Where, where are the ones who thought themselves worthy to put you into shame? Where are they? Um, didn't even one of them, was there not, was there, was there one perfect one in the bunch? And of course the lady responds and she says, well, well, they're not any, Lord. They're not any, no one, Lord. There's not one, okay? And so here's the deal. Then Jesus says the most important thing. He says, okay, the accusers, the more thens are gone, and it's just me and you. And he didn't say all of this, but the truth is this. He could have condemned her. But you know what he said? Neither do I condemn thee. Neither do I condemn thee. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. The, the great, you know, there's so many great things about the gospel, but one of the greatest things is God doesn't condemn us. I mean, I mean, maybe you're here today or you're watching on Facebook or you're listening on the radio and, and maybe you're just now hearing this. Wait, 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 what? Now, I, I, I always heard God was a rock chucker and God would zap sinners and God, God hated sinners. Oh, you just heard a lie. He's not a rock chucker. He's a cross sending. <laughs> love God and love people. He loved us so much, he allowed his son Jesus Christ to die on a Roman cross. He's not a rock checker. He's a lover of souls. And he loves you. And if you're hearing that, that, those words, you know, neither do I condemn thee for the first time. At the end of our service, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. You can come today or write on Facebook or write on the radio and hear the great truth that God doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. And then there's a bunch of us who need to hear it for the hundredth time or the one thousandth time because we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. And we look in the secret of our hearts and we don't like what we see. And we know the pain we cause people, our wife or our children or the co-workers at work. And we don't like what we see. Oh, we're redeemed. We've been saved. But in an effort to make ourselves feel better, we become a more than. So we can condemn the less than. Well, you need to know this. Jesus doesn't condemn you either. Neither do I condemn you. 
I love Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. It says, there is therefore now no con- Someone say no condemnation. Now, now, when it says no condemnation, that means none. There is no, con- there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not those who are religious, not those who think they can make it on works, but when we're in Christ, there is no condemnation. I found it tucked away in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, and you don't have this in your sermon app. But let me read it to you because it, it, I, I didn't realize it. It was such a beautiful picture of what happened that day. And by the way, what happens every day? Amen. What happens every day? In Colossians 2.14, we see what Jesus did for her. Here's what it says. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to his cross. When he... When he looked to her, he said to the prostitute and said, you're no longer a prostitute. The record of those charges have been erased and I'm going to nail them to my cross. I don't know what it is in your life. I could name some in mine because I live it. But he takes the charges. What he said that day for her, he takes the charges and he's nailed them to his cross. And then he gives us a twist of insight when you put John 8 with with Colossians 2 and it says this in verse 15. In this way, by, by, by erasing the charges against her, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Think about that. By by saying, neither do I condemn thee. Oh, they're probably outside the circle here listening. Don't condemn. Don't condemn. He disarmed their ability to put people into shame. He disarmed the ability to hold people in hostage. He disarmed the spiritual, spiritual leaders, rulers, and authorities. And then he shamed them publicly. Let me tell you something. The next time, and they did this all the time, the next time the more thans will pull, try to pull rank on the people, they look at them and go, mm-mm, you admitted publicly that you're a sinner just like me. You can't hold me in bondage no more. Somebody say amen. amen. Can't hold, hey, you might as well tell this to Satan too. Hey, Satan, you can't hold me in bondage anymore. Because I've been, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. I've been blood washed. I've been forgiven. I've been rescued. And hey, devil, there ain't nothing you can do about it. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them and the cross. The cross hadn't happened yet. But it was not too far in the future. And forever, he would take away the ability of shame to hold us in bondage. So let's close with a powerful truth that I'm learning, obviously, still, but we are learning still, and it is this. When we talk about the fact that, that in Christ, condemnation disappears. Now, listen, look at me. 
You've got to believe this. Don't. I'm looking forward to the result of this sermon in my life. I don't know when, I don't know when it's going to happen. And it won't be because I lose 25 pounds. But one day I'm going to look in the mirror and like myself. And I won't feel shame. I'll be okay with my skin. And it won't be because I did this or did that. It's because I'm going to believe I'm redeemed. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. In Christ, condemnation disappears. Death is defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Shackles. Your song, Dave. Shackles fall. Shackles fall. And guilt is removed. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And guys, listen. This is so important. It's, it's not just for those of us who deal with shame in our lives. Okay? It's because what's out there in the world. This is what they need to know. They need to know that no matter what you have done, listen, in Christ the condemnation disappears, death is defeated, shackles fall, and guilt is removed. This is what they need to know. This is what they need to know at the part coming up. They don't need a bunch of more thans looking down on the poor less thans. They need to see Jesus' followers being Jesus. That's what we need to be and do. Would you bow your heads right there where you're at? Our time of decision is always at the end of our service. And my friend Brent will be standing down here. And uh, first is this. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. And I know those are religious terms. I'm familiar with that. But if you ever felt like you, know, you felt such gain, such uh, shame, and such guilt, I want you to know that Jesus can take that away. Just like he did for my friend now 27 years ago. 27 years ago, and the truth is still the truth. So my friend Brent would be glad to share that with you today. And the altar is going to be open if you want to come and pray. If you just want to come and pray, the altar is open for that. Maybe you're one of those ones that needs to hear it for the hundredth time. That there is no condemnation in Christ. This thing we call... See, this is what's so cool about church. We make church into a thou shalt instead of grace. And a lot of us don't want to come to church... Because all we're going to do is feel guilty. Well, that's not God. God wants to experience grace. And if there's forgiveness necessary, He's willing to forgive. You can leave here today no longer whatever you were. He can make you new today. Even if you've already been born again, He can make you new today. So God, I cannot thank you enough for the privilege of teaching this message today. I want to pray, Father, for Dwayne Taylor that I can own this in my life. It's been a long journey, Father. And it may be a long journey yet to come. But I do know this. I am redeemed. And I know this. I am not what I used to be. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for all of us who might wrestle with shame and guilt. May today be the day that we set it free. And Father, don't let us be more than us. Don't let us be more thans. Rather, let us be the good Samaritan on the road who picked up the man, took care of him, and took him to the lodge and loved him. Help us to be that. So, Father, this time is your time. I'm asking you to use it 
for your honor and for your glory. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.